What's up, guys? This is Mike. This is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. What's up, guys? This is Mike. And this is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. And welcome to our first official episode. We are very excited to bring this to you guys, and also excited because we're going to be talking about the NFL Draft. And the NFL Draft is one of Mike and I's favorite sporting events that happens the entire year. We love seeing guys who dominated in college, see where they go in the NFL. We love mock drafts, draft night, all that kind of stuff. So we're going to be breaking all of that down for you guys in five different segments for this episode. And my boy Mike is going to break those down and we'll get it right into it. So the first segment we're going to roll out is our bag of chips segment, which we alluded to in our intro podcast. Then we're going to talk about what the Falcons did on draft night. We're going to talk about some incoming rookies that might be good options for you if you plan on playing fantasy football this season. We're going to talk about which teams we felt made the biggest change or the biggest improvement through the draft. And we're going to put somebody on the hot seat. So with our first segment, our bag of chips, if you listen to our intro podcast, then you'll remember us talking about there being three sections of this segment. The first is going to be how many times did we hear a player getting drafted to talk about having a chip on his shoulder? The second section is who said that he has a chip on his shoulder that really had no business saying that? And third, who do we feel maybe should have a chip on his shoulder? Right. And unfortunately, the 2021 NFL draft didn't really want to cooperate with our planned segment. Uh, unlike in years past where we heard... I've got a chip on my shoulder. I've got a lot to prove, whatever, over and over and over again. We just didn't really hear that this year. Uh, We only heard it one time, and it wasn't even televised. Uh, It was a a phone conversation between Zayvon Collins and Arizona general manager Steve Keim on their initial phone call when they were going to draft Zayvon Collins. And uh, I'll let Mike tell you exactly what was said, but... It is pretty interesting. So I'm not going to say exactly what he said because it would just be way more fun for you to hear it from the man himself. So we're going to post links to this interview on our social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mike and Dave pod. But a little preview. He said that they're going to kill everyone and that they're going to get a ring so big on their finger that a show dog would not be able to jump over it. And there are plenty of expletives in those sentences. So follow the link on our social to hear that interview for yourself. But we don't expect too much violence outside of him playing linebacker in the NFL. Right. And so in response to that, Steve Kime said, well, I hope you keep, you know, I love that energy. I hope you keep that chip on your shoulder. So it wasn't even the player saying it. It was the general manager saying it to the player. But I mean, we'll take it. But we watched the whole thing. We we listened. That was the only time we heard it. So I don't know, maybe new year, new mentality for these players. Maybe they're actually feeling blessed to be drafted now. Um, And, you know, maybe that's maybe due to COVID and the shortening of the of the seasons and everything like that. Maybe they're just. It has shaped their perspectives. I don't know. Either way, what we can talk about is which players we think should have a chip on their shoulders based on where they were drafted, or in this case, 
they weren't drafted at all because we've got three undrafted players for you guys that we feel like should have something to something to prove uh, moving forward in their rookie season. So I'm going to talk about one of these three players, and then Dave will talk about the other two. And they're on sort of like opposite extremes in terms of like they're not being drafted. So my player is Carlo Kemp, who went to Michigan. He was a defensive tackle there. Um, and I'm not here to say that Carlo Kemp was like worth an upper pick. Um, I would have guessed that he would have been a fifth or sixth round pick. He's not a a superstar defensive tackle by any means, but he is like a solid player. One that is a quality run stopper who like rarely if ever lets running backs buy him, which is super important in the NFL. All teams seem to need that or seem to always be looking for another quality run stopper. Um, you know, you never know who's going to get hurt and you always want to know that your backups are going to bring that same quality defense or, you know, a similar quality defense. And so the fact that he went undrafted uh, was shocking to me just because, you know, while he doesn't do anything like phenomenally well outside of stopping the run, he doesn't do anything that poorly either. He can also get to the quarterback from time to time. So it was shocking to me to see him not go at all. I was expecting him to go on the third day of drafting. Right, for sure. And I've got two more for you guys. First of all, and this is a player you probably heard of if you follow college football, Dylan Moses, uh, linebacker for Alabama. Uh, he did not get drafted, which is understandable to a degree because of his medical red flags. Um, just a little background in case you didn't know. Uh, Dylan Moses was touted as one of the top linebackers in last year's class or in this year's class a couple years ago. But unfortunately, he ended up having a very bad knee injury and uh, just hasn't really looked the same since. He's dealt with a lot of pain in that knee and he's continuing rehabbing and trying to work on that. But when he was at his best, there was no doubt that he was going to go in the first round. So it is kind of surprising to see that no team ended up even using a sixth or seventh round pick on him. He did get picked up by the Jaguars as an undrafted free agent. Uh, so we'll see if he sticks with that team. The Jaguars definitely need help at linebacker, especially after the whole Telvin Smith weird situation. I don't know if you've heard about that, but definitely look, definitely Google that. It's pretty interesting. Um, so if he does manage to recover and get back to full health, then I think he could be a, a starter for the Jags for sure. Uh, and then another guy, uh, Marvin Wilson, a defensive tackle for Florida State. He didn't get drafted either. And this was another guy who has dealt with some injuries for the past couple of years. He had a broken hand. He had a leg injury. And uh, obviously, Florida State hasn't had the best run of it in the past couple of years either. So that didn't really help. Uh, but he uh, he ended up getting picked, by, picked up by the Browns as an undrafted free agent. And I would be very shocked if he didn't carve out at least a situational role uh, in his rookie year. And and I would be very surprised if both of these players, Dylan Moses and Marvin Wilson, didn't end up seeing the field at some point during their rookie seasons. And I'll mention as well, Carlo Kemp did get signed by the Packers to join other, like they have a history of adding these Michigan defenders like Jake Ryan and Rashawn Gary. But What's beautiful about the NFL, and a lot of coaches say this, but Belichick especially will say, like, 
it doesn't really matter as much where you get drafted. If you can play, then you're going to earn your spot on the team, and you're going to earn your playing time. We had these players overlooked on draft night, but they did find their way onto rosters for now. And so really, it just comes down to them. Like It's up to them to prove it this summer. Uh, were teams wrong to not draft them? Do they have what it takes to earn their spots? And personally, I believe that all three of them do, uh, as long as Marvin Wilson and um, Dylan Moses can get over these injuries, as long as Carlo Kemp can like be a solid producer. I think they'll all find their way onto rosters in the fall. Absolutely. And we see all the time that, I mean, the best example that I can think of is Isaiah Wilson, tackle for originally for, for the University of Georgia, got drafted by the Titans in the first round. Due to character concerns and poor play, he ended up being let go by the Titans the the following year. And yet we see undrafted players make rosters and even go on to make, make Pro Bowls. Um, so you never really know. Um, I, I hope that these players that we've mentioned can make it and, and really prove everyone wrong because I do think I know we joke about the chip on the shoulder and all that kind of stuff, but I do think that not going drafted when there are so many players drafted ahead of you, um, that will provide some extra motivation for these guys. Yeah. And I completely agree that motivation will carry them forward. And, you know, NFL rosters have like 53 spots and there's always injuries that are going to happen. Teams are always looking for depth at the, especially at these positions to talk about defensive tackle, talk about linebacker, like there's going to be room for these players. I think that like it's safe to assume that they'll make their way on, but at this point, all they have to do is go out there and prove it. Go out there and do what they do. Exactly. So that wraps up our bag of chip segment. Next up, we're going to be talking about the Falcons, what we thought of their draft class, uh, what could have been improved, what they did well, what they did poorly. Uh, so we'll get right into that right after this break. All right. So we're going to talk about the Falcons and what they did in the NFL draft. So, it's the day before the draft. It's the day of the draft. Dave, what do you think the Falcons should be addressing in this draft? Specifically with the number four pick, but also looking past that as well. The Falcons need a lot of help. Obviously, they're picking fourth overall. So they obviously needed a lot of help in a lot of places. Um, me personally, because they needed a lot of help, especially on defense, I thought they should trade down. Uh, especially because going into it, we we figured the first three picks were going to be quarterbacks. The number four selection would be a great option for someone to trade up if they wanted A, one of the two remaining top quarterbacks that were available, or B, their choice of literally anyone else in the draft who wasn't a quarterback. And we did hear some rumblings that the Falcons were definitely listening to trade offers, and I was hoping that something was going to end up working out, but unfortunately they didn't receive a trade offer that they thought was good enough to move down. So that would have been my ideal scenario is we trade maybe like, maybe it's still in the top 10 or maybe like 10 to 15 range. We still get a, a high quality defender, maybe a corner, uh, maybe a pass rusher or something like that. Uh, because like I said, pretty much all three levels of the defense needed addressing offensive line help. Um, but instead, of course, we end up drafting Kyle Pitts, a tight end, when we already have a decent tight end, not amazing, but a decent tight end in Hayden Hurst. Mike, what were your thoughts 
when the Falcons selected Kyle Pitts. We just drafted the player that a lot of people believe to be the best player in the draft, if not, if that's not Trevor Lawrence. Um, a lot of people had him rate, had Kyle Pitts rate as the highest rated player. We just drafted the best player, but we did not draft based on our needs. So I also would have preferred if we had drafted, if we had traded down. Um, to me, I had my eye on Penny Sewell pretty much all year. Um, so I was looking at trading, like either picking him or better yet, trading down a couple spots and then picking him because he just looks like a phenomenal talent on the offensive line. And that's something that you can really use to help like build up uh, your team, really like support your quarterback. I feel like if we give Matt Ryan time, um, that would help him make a little bit better decisions, fo- stop forcing bad throws. But the thing about Kyle Pitts is like, you know, one thing I keep hearing since the Falcons drafted him is who's going to cover the Falcons to which I w- would like to reply. Anyone only needs to cover the Falcons for like two seconds at a time because our, our offensive line, like we got J1 Mayfield, um, but that's not an immediate fix. And so it doesn't really matter. Plus our passing game wasn't the problem for the most part. Um, not that it was perfect, but it wasn't our like in our big three of issues, so to speak. So we already had Julio. We already had Calvin Ridley. We already had Hayden Hurst. It's not like we were easy to cover before. I don't think that Kyle Pitts solves anything, but to be optimistic, we did get a really good player. Right. And my thoughts on it, tight end was not a need, but you also can't really fault taking a guy viewed as a generational talent. Especially now that we see Julio Jones struggling with injuries. Uh, Hayden Hurst, his fifth year option was coming up and he's a decent player, but like I said, not elite. Uh, I don't mind it because Kyle Pitts will help Matt Ryan in the short term, but also for whoever our new quarterback will be, it helps them as well because you've got, and theoretically, we'll resign Calvin Ridley. So we would have Ridley and Pitts as a as a duo once Julio ends up getting older and retiring. And having those two guys to throw to, especially a tight end who can create separation, make contested catches across the middle, pretty much do whatever you want him to do on offense, out wide, in line, in the slot, doesn't really matter. He can be effective. That's a major weapon for a quarterback to have. I agree that the offensive line is a priority. Um, but if you think about it, the Falcons have used first round picks on offensive linemen. They used both of their first round picks on offensive linemen two years ago. And uh, Lindstrom has been good. Caleb McGarry, not quite as much. Um but I can see why they would want to continue as those guys are on rookie contracts, continue to see how those guys develop and bring in some competition like Jalen Mayfield, like Drew Dahlman, who we drafted later on as competition. So maybe if those guys aren't performing, then we have some other options as well. As far as other needs, I'm happy with Richie Grant, who was the safety that we drafted in the second round. Um, we definitely needed safety help. We lost pretty much all three of our 
main safeties from last year, Ricardo Allen, Keanu Neal, and Demonte Casey. All of them are gone. And uh, it's funny, actually, Keanu Neal and KZ both signed with Dallas to rejoin Dan Quinn. Not that Dan Quinn's defense was good to begin with, so I don't really get that. But I mean, you know, whatever. With the Richie Grant signing, though, he drew great comparisons when they were talking about his player comp. Uh, They compared him to Tyron Matthew, as well as Malcolm Jenkins, which if you're a safety coming out of UCF, um, going beginning of the second round those are great players to be compared to um and one thing that was really praised about Richie Grant was his ability to cover ground um and you know make up on lost space with the ball in the air so I look at that and look at him as a potential ball hawk uh that we can put next to Eric Harris is the safety that we picked up yeah either him or Duran Harmon uh Jalen Hawkins is a holdover from last year as well we're not sure exactly who's going to start I think it'll be a competition between those guys Um, but Richie Grant should start and he can play either strong safety or free safety which is another big plus as well we can kind of move him depending on need for sure and as for our defense as well it's just unfortunate and we've talked about this before but in a year that we have the number four pick there are no like phenomenal edge rushers edge rushers at least any that are good enough to be like top five you know, like when you had Miles Garrett go number one a few years back, like he was a clear cut top pick and there just wasn't that guy. And that's really what the Falcons need is that guy on the edge on defense, because, you know, no matter who you have in the secondary, you can only cover re- these receivers for so long. Um, eventually, these quarterbacks are going to dot them up if you don't have pressure. And that's one thing that the Falcons have long struggled with. Very much so. And I think we were all excited when Dante Fowler signed, uh, but he was a flop in his first year. He ended up actually taking a pay cut this offseason. And who knows what we'll see from him this year. Maybe he'll have a bounce back year. Obviously, Grady Jared in the middle is still fantastic, but I I totally agree. This, this out of all years had to be the year where there wasn't a standout edge rushing prospect and I really do believe that the Falcons would have taken him if he existed uh, in this draft class. But we still can't be mad about Kyle Pitts. Richie Grant, like we said, decent option in the second round. Um, I was kind of, I was in two minds about about that as well because we, we traded out of our pick in the second round and traded down a little bit. And with the Broncos and the Broncos ended up selecting Javante Williams running back from North Carolina with that pick. And something that I'm a little confused by and frankly, a little surprised by is that the Falcons didn't draft a single running back throughout the entire draft. And that's a very obvious need going into the draft from my point of view. And I think a lot of people felt the same way. Todd Gurley was not the answer last year. He was, he, he looked washed, to be honest with you. Um, we didn't bring back Brian Hill. We cut Edo Smith. I mean, these guys weren't amazing anyway. But now we have, we signed Mike Davis, who played for, with the Panthers last year. He was decent. Um, I'm not mad about that, but I think we need somebody else too. We did sign Cordero Patterson, who has played some running back in the past. We saw him play running back 
for the Bears last year and be somewhat effective. Uh, and then we have Kadri Allison, who is pretty much only good for one yard line situations and just punching the ball in. Um, so I'm a little surprised that they didn't draft any running backs, especially when there were still decent ones available later on in the draft. But Javante Williams would have been a decent option. Uh, power runner, breaks a lot of tackles, at least would have been a good one-two combination with Mike Davis. But the Falcons, I guess, decided that who they got, who they have is good enough, and maybe they'll they'll bring in some other undrafted running backs and kind of create a competition there. But I was kind of looking forward to seeing which running back we were going to take, and we didn't take any. I was a little confused. I completely agree. I, you know, I was hoping so hard for Najee Harris, even though I knew that was like unrealistic. I didn't expect to get him at all, but I was looking at like a Travis Etienne in the second round or, or Jamonte Williams, like you were talking about. Um, and part of, I think what was making me so excited about the idea of getting a good young running back prospect is the fact that we just brought in Arthur Smith to be our next coach. And we've seen the work that he's done with Derrick Henry. Like Derrick Henry was on a short list for MVP last season um, because of, I mean, not to take anything away from him. Derrick Henry's a beast. Um, I love me some Derrick Henry, but we have to look at the work that Arthur Smith did in Tennessee to make that happen. So I was like, okay, um, we talk about like these new coaches, like Urban Myers getting his quarterback, all that. I was like, Arthur Smith's getting his running back. Who's it going to be? We don't get a running back. So, And I just don't, I just don't think Mike Davis is the guy. Yeah, and I think some people thought that Todd Gurley was going to be the guy, but he ended up just not really having the same juice. Mike Davis, he hasn't played as much, so I think he does have some tread on the tires, but you're right. I don't I don't think that he's the guy. I will say, though, Arthur Smith was originally a tight ends coach. So in, in a way, he did get his guy by getting Kyle Pitts, a generational talent at tight end. So I am excited about that fit. But we were talking earlier about the passing game not being an issue and the line not being the best and needing some help there as well. Something else that really helps a quarterback is a strong running game. And the Falcons had one of the worst running games in the NFL last year, bar none. I want to say it was bottom three. And um, that's just not good enough, especially when, and we've seen this before with the Falcons, where sometimes you just need to run the ball out and run the clock out. And I guess the Falcons aren't really thinking about doing that. I don't know. Um, We'll just have to wait and see. I am optimistic about what Arthur Smith can do. But once again, I wish that we had drafted a running back, at least at some point, just to create some more competition in there. And who knows? I mean, like last year, we saw James Robinson for the Jaguars come out of nowhere as an undrafted free agent and be an absolute beast for the Jaguars. So you never really know. And running backs are kind of hit or miss, I guess. And it's hard to tell exactly who's going to be great and who's not. But I guess we'll see. And and maybe next year, um, we'll, we'll look to target a running back and maybe a quarterback as well. Assuming that we don't find some diamond in the rough, undrafted running back, and assuming that Mike Davis isn't the guy, you know, things can still happen this season, and maybe Arthur Smith will dial up some like um, 
or d- will devise some good scheme wherein a running back like Mike Davis can be successful. Um, I don't want to put that past him yet. I want to give him a chance. But yeah, I think that what you said is more realistic that we end up targeting a running back next year. Exactly. Uh, and one thing we haven't really talked about, just to kind of wrap up this segment here, what were your thoughts on potentially the Falcons selecting a quarterback? Mac Jones was still available. Justin Fields was still available at number four. Uh, obviously, with the with the cap, Matt Ryan is probably going to be a Falcon for the next two seasons. Do you think that we should have at least considered drafting one of those guys at four? Or do you think that that's not necessary right now that Matt Ryan can still get the job done? I look at Justin Fields and I think that he'll be good. Um, I think he has potential. And so I kind of went into the draft like if we get Justin Fields, I'm not going to be mad about it because he'd be going into a good situation where he doesn't have to start right away, which helps a lot of the time. Um, But I stand behind saying that I don't think Matt Ryan is the problem. Um, and I'm not like delusional and thinking that he's still like MVP Matt Ryan. I don't think that he's top five, probably not top 10. I haven't written this list out, but I doubt I'd have him in my top 10 quarterbacks at this point. However, I think that Matt Ryan could win a Super Bowl. And so when I look at like our team needs, quarterback wasn't it. Um, I think that like there were just other things to worry about and every year there's like one or two quarterbacks that are going to go high in the draft. There's always going to be at least one standout quarterback. And so it wasn't like, Oh, we didn't draft a quarterback this year. We just missed our chance to get a quarterback. Like there will be others. And so I think for now, at least Matt Ryan can be our guy to roll with. Right. And I would agree to an extent with that. Um, I mainly just hate that Matt Ryan is paid like a top five quarterback and yet performs nowhere near that level. Um, obviously he had that one amazing season and should have won the Super Bowl. Obviously didn't. I, I can see both sides of it. I would not have been mad if we had gotten Trey Lance or Justin Fields at that spot. Obviously Trey Lance went to the 49ers one spot ahead, but I agree. There are several quarterbacks in his next class, none of which have really separated themselves from the pack. So, and and we see this every year, quarterbacks rise up to the top because obviously it's the most important position in football. So naturally they're going to go higher than necessarily that they should. But I guess we, we can see what Matt Ryan can do this year. Um, I mean, we've looked no further than the Saints. Drew Brees really fell off uh, the past couple of years and obviously ended up retiring. But the Saints were still very competitive, but that was also because the Saints had a decent defense. They had decent pass rush. And they had, and I, I hate to say this because I hate Sean Payton, but they had good coaching. And that counts for a lot. Uh, and... I'm hopeful that Matt Ryan will be able to limit mistakes, just get the ball to his playmakers, because I don't think he can throw the deep ball like he used to. Um, And he's never really a great deep ball thrower anyway, but just get the ball to the playmakers, 
Kyle Pitts will be another really good option for him. And, you know, we'll see. I don't expect the Falcons to have as bad of a record as they did last year. Um, Do I think the Falcons are now going to be playoff contenders because of this draft class? Absolutely not. But do I think the Falcons did a decent job? I do. I think that they at least addressed a lot of their needs. We we got some defensive line depth, uh, some defensive back depth as well, and some offensive line depth with Jalen Mayfield and Drew Dahlman. So you can't really be too upset about it. I just don't know how many impact players we got from this draft. And of course, time will tell. But early returns, I'm... I'm happy, cautiously optimistic about it, but I do think that there are a couple of positions, specifically running back and edge rusher, that really need to be addressed in order for us to get to that next level. And the last thing I'll say is NFL.com, I think it was, ranked us as having the best draft class. I disagree. Strongly. No No chance. (laughs) Ain't no way. Um, but I, th- I'd bet money that the reason that they're saying that is just resting on Kyle Pitts being that generational talent. If you get the best player out of the draft, then you win the draft basically. Um, and so how I look at this draft is going to be solely contingent upon how well Kyle Pitts performs. Please don't be a bust because if, if Kyle Pitts is a bust, we mess this draft all up. Um, but Assuming he turns out to be the generational talent that all these analysts are saying that he will be, then great there. I think that Jalen Mayfield won't necessarily start right away, but I also think he has the potential after a year or two to be our starting right tackle or even guard. There's been talk about his ability to move into a more interior position. And I think that he has the potential to be like a longtime starter on our offensive line. And if we got a quality offensive lineman, a generational playmaker at the tight end position, and let's say a solid defender or two, then I'm not mad about the draft. Exactly. As long as Kyle Pitts is a standout performer and we get, let's say, two or three other solid contributors, let's say three or four, let's say three or four other solid contributors, then I will be very pleased uh, with this draft and... I guess time will just tell. Um, 2021, not super happy about it, but looking forward kind of past the Matt Ryan era, I do think that the Falcons are setting themselves up for at least a decent bit of success with this draft. Yeah, so we talked about players that we are hoping will turn into performers and that will produce for the Falcons. So when we come back, we'll talk about some rookies that can maybe produce for you and your fantasy team next season. What's up, guys? Welcome back. So with this segment, we're each going to break down our top three rookies that we feel like can help out your fantasy team uh, in this upcoming season. So number three for me is going to be a guy we just talked about in the last segment, Kyle Pitts. Um, And there are a couple of question marks here for me. Number one, rookie tight ends rarely are productive at the NFL level. Um, it takes them a lot longer to get adjusted, number one, because they have to learn all the blocking schemes and they have to be capable there. And number two, obviously they have to kind of figure out their receiving 
side of it as well. But Kyle Pitts, as we talked about previously, he's a generational talent. He's a guy who can line up in line, in the slot, out wide. He can. He's too big for corners. He's too fast for linebackers and safeties. He can make contested catches. He can make catches up the seam. He's a red zone threat. You name it, he can do it on offense. And that's why I think that he will be a top 10 tight end in the league, fantasy-wise, in his first season. Another thing to note with the tight end position is that it's very shallow. There are usually three or four guys at the top, and then there's everybody else, and it's just kind of a crapshoot after that. And I it really won't take that much for Kyle Pitts to be able to be one of those top 10 tight end one talents. Um, even though he is going to have to contend with Julio and Calvin Ridley and Hayden Hurst and Russell Gage uh, for targets, I still think he'll be able to benefit from all the attention that Calvin's going to get and all the attention that Julio's going to get. They can't cover everybody. And I think Kyle Pitts will be a beneficiary of that as well. And one other thing, uh, Arthur Smith worked with Jonu Smith in Tennessee, and Jonu Smith had a really breakout season last year. Um, obviously, Arthur Smith being a former tight ends coach, that's kind of his specialty. He got the best out of Jonu in, in that offense. And now he's working with Kyle Pitts, who is, I mean, more talented than Jonu Smith is. Um, I'm excited to see what those two guys can work on and uh, how Arthur Smith can actually improve Kyle Pitts even more. So Kyle Pitts is my, is my number three guy, and I think that he's a solid guy to target uh, for your fantasy team next season. I love that, especially because he's going to fill that tight end position like you were saying. You know, once you get past your Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Darren Waller, yeah, it's kind of slim pickings. Um, mm-hmm. There's such a big drop, like you're talking about, from the top to the bottom, or top to the middle, really. Um, my number three is a bit of a sleeper in that he was a third round pick number 77 overall, but I'm going Josh Palmer. Uh, he's receiver for the chargers coming out of Tennessee. And I think Palmer was a little overshadowed by, or he got kind of lost behind Jamar Chase, Devonte Smith and Jalen Waddle. But he's actually, he actually had a really good season, a really good two seasons actually. Um, and what I like about him is his big playability. That's what the Chargers front office raved about as well. In fact, uh, Chargers coach Brandon Staley looked at him as being, quote, a very complete player um, and one that he said that he could integrate right away. Um, so when I hear that, I'm looking at, okay, this is a receiver that they're not just bringing in in like specialty situations, but that they want on like a majority of their offensive snaps. You add that to Justin Herbert who had a phenomenal rookie year, much better than I expected him to, I'll be honest. Um, and also the Chargers, you know, they did uh, do some work to boost their offensive line. So I think that the table set for Josh Palmer to have a good rookie year behind a really or alongside a really confident second-year quarterback in Justin Herbert. So Josh Palmer is going to be my number three pick. And I like that one as well. Uh, especially Keenan Allen's going to be the number one receiver there. No question. Uh, Mike Williams is talented and he has that big playability as well, but he's had so many injuries 
that I would not be surprised if we saw that again. And then that leaves a lot of opportunities for Josh Palmer moving forward in that offense uh, is more uh, pass oriented than run oriented. So I think there will be some opportunities for him there. Uh, so number two for me, it was a toss up between my number two and number one. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that. Uh, but I'm going to go with Devonte Smith. Uh, obviously a Heisman winner receiver out of Alabama uh, who the Eagles traded up for um, and they drafted at 10 overall. Now Devonte Smith, I mean, what more needs to be said? He won the Heisman as a receiver that hadn't been done since Desmond Howard in 1991. Amazing player, uh, amazing route runner. Great, he like pretty much never drops any passes. He he just knows how to get open. And regardless of what level you're playing at, knowing how to get open is the number one trait that you want for a wide receiver to have. No matter how fast you are, no matter how good your hands are, whether you can make contested catches, you're a red zone threat, whatever. If you can't get open, then it's it's going to be a lot more difficult for you moving forward. And I know Devontae Smith had some questions about his size, the fact that he is a bit of a smaller guy. But like I said, he knows how to get open. And he's also, it's not like he's slow. I mean, he's pretty fast as well. Not Jalen Waddle, but still he can get behind the defense and really with the Eagles, their receiver room was pretty uh, sparse last year. I mean, they had Travis Fulgham, for crying out loud, leading their receivers. Like, it was not a great situation there. Zach Ertz has really been on the decline. So pretty much, I think it'll be Dallas Goddard and Devontae Smith uh, connecting with Jalen Hurts. And of course, Jalen Hurts and Devontae Smith have played with each other already at Alabama. So they'll be able to rekindle that relationship too. And I'm just a big believer in his talent. And I think that he's going to have a great rookie season and he is pro ready. So I'm excited to see what he can do. I don't like the fact that he's on the Eagles because I don't like the Eagles, but I do like Jalen Hurts and I like Devontae Smith and I'm excited to see what they can do up there in Philadelphia. I hate to sound like I have SEC bias because I don't even like the SEC, but when people were bringing up all these questions about Devontae Smith... Like you said, first receiver to win the Heisman in 30 years. Like, that's disrespectful. He Obviously, he's capable of going out there and producing. Um, he's big enough to play against a lot of NFL caliber players, many of whom he's seeing in practice every day. Um, so I do like that pick. But you said it. He's not Jalen Waddle. That's, that's my number two. And you alluded to... Devontae Smith being reunited with Jalen Hurts. Jalen Waddle is going to be reunited with Tua Tungavailoa. And Jalen Waddle, in a word for me, electric. He's got that. With Josh Palmer, I mentioned big playability. Jalen Waddle has huge playability. He's lightning fast. And what an incredible tool to give a young quarterback, a player that you can, like, you don't have to bomb it 40 yards down the field to. You can give it to him on a wide receiver screen. You can give it to him on a five-yard slant. And then he'll take that plenty of yards down the field. Um, so I look for the Dolphins to be getting Jalen Waddle involved on a lot of like easy catches, frankly, uh, relatively speaking. I'm not saying anything in the NFL is easy. But relatively easy looks, which he can then turn into big plays. And any player you get sixth overall, you know, anywhere in there. That's not a player that you just want to like 
kind of put in here and there and just see what happens. That's a player you want to integrate quick, fast, and in a hurry, which is exactly how he'll be running into the end zone. So book it, Jalen Waddle. That's number two for me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm a fan of his as well. I do think it's crazy that, and this just kind of shows how much speed is being prioritized in today's game, that the Heisman winner can be drafted after his teammate, who's also wide receiver. That that I just find that to be crazy that like the the best player in college football can be drafted after his teammate, who all plays the same position. But that's the NFL now, and I definitely understand why they did it. Uh, like you said, he'll be a great great weapon for that offense, um, and along with Devontae Parker, Mike Kosicki, he'll he'll play a major role there. Uh, so that moves me into my number one spot, and this is a guy who. I actually do think should have been drafted before Devontae Smith, even though Devontae Smith won the Heisman. And that's Jamar Chase. This man is a straight baller. I think people forgot how amazing he was because he opted out of the 2020 season. But in 2019, he was unbelievable. And talk about a guy who can do everything at the wide receiver position. He can run past you. He can run through you. He can catch it over you. He can juke you out. He can pretty much do whatever you want a receiver to do. And huh, and I, I don't know if you've caught a trend here, but he will also be reunited with his college quarterback in Joe Burrow, who coincidentally won the Heisman Award in that year, in 2019. And pretty much the only reason why uh, Jamar Chase didn't win it is because Joe Burrow won it. Um. And we've seen Justin Jefferson, who was also on that team, uh, that LSU team. We've seen how good he was for the Vikings this past year. And Justin Jefferson was the second receiver on that team. Jamar Chase was the number one receiver, led the nation in receiving yards and touchdowns. And the Bengals, maybe they should have drafted Penny Sewell. Maybe they should have prioritized keeping Joe Burrow upright, especially after he got injured. But if you're not going to draft an offensive tackle, why not draft a quarterback's other best friend, which is a wide receiver who's always open. And Jamar Chase is that guy. Uh, so I expect him to be throwing the ball early and often. Uh, AJ Green's not there anymore. Um, he'll have to compete with Tyler Boyd, which who's a, a good player. But Jamar Chase is, I mean, he's a red zone threat. Um, he has that big playability. And really, I think he's going to be their most talented offensive weapon. So I expect him to be involved early and often. And I know in my fantasy drafts, I'm going to be looking to draft him pretty early. I definitely like that pick. And like you said, people must have forgot what a difference a year can make in people's minds. Um, it's always, what have you done for me lately? Yeah, really. Um, and I don't want to get too much into this, um, but I think if you have a, a franchise quarterback or a quarterback that you think should be or could be a franchise quarterback, I think that when you get into drafting, you consult that player if you're a GM. And so I'm not saying that there are reports of this anywhere uh, in this situation, but I like to think that the Bengals front office talked to Joe Burrow and said, all right, check this out. We could draft Penny Sewell to protect you, or we could draft your buddy Jamar Chase so you can throw it to him. And because frankly, if I were the Bengals GM, that's what I would have done. I would have just said, Joe Burrow, I'm cool with either of these guys. Who do you want? So, I like to think that Joe Burrow is like, nah, give me Jamar Chase. We've we've done big things before. Let's do it again. Um, so I definitely like that combination. 
And you're right, there is a theme of this whole like reunited in the, we've already brought up three. And this one isn't my guy, but I just want to mention it because it fits in. Even the Jags, they brought in Trevor Lawrence and then they also drafted Travis Etienne. So we have all these like college pairings just coming back together in the NFL. Let's go back in time. You remember when Le'Veon Bell was having contract issues with the Steelers and they're like, all right, we don't know if we're going to sign you. We're going to play D'Angelo Williams instead. And D'Angelo Williams started balling out um, just like Le'Veon Bell was. Their numbers are more or less like comparable. It's because when you go to Pittsburgh, if you're a halfway decent running back, you have a good offensive line. I know that Villanueva is going to Baltimore, but you always have a good offensive line. You have a competent veteran quarterback in Big Ben who's not going to put too much pressure on you um, in terms of your production. And perhaps most importantly, you have Mike Tomlin, who is a phenomenal head coach. Um, However much credit he gets is not enough. Bring in Najee Harris. The best running back in this draft should be the clear-cut starter from day one. Running backs just have so much value in fantasy because with wide receivers, tight ends, you know, however good you are, there might be some games where you're just not targeted, you're too heavily covered, whatever the case may be. But it's relatively easy to hand the ball to the running back 20 times, um, and the really good running backs will produce with that. And we saw, like, I think about Saquon Barkley, Um, And what he did his rookie season in New York behind a porous offensive line. We know that the Steelers O-line is going to be better than that, even without Villanueva. So Najee Harris is my number one. I expect him to come in, produce um, in a very, very good environment with a great coach and a great skill set. Talking about a running back that can really give you everything that you want out of a running back. I don't really see anything holding Najee Harris back this season. Exactly. And that's, that has held the Steelers offense back a bit. Uh, James Conner just hasn't really been able to get the job done. He's been injured as well. And that lack of a running game. And we talked about it earlier in the show as well with Matt Ryan and them not drafting a running back. That is the quarterback's best friend, especially a guy like big Ben, who's not that he was ever very mobile before, but is even more immobile now. Um, I think it really would help him out to to have a running back like Najee Harris. Should he have been drafted that high? I am one of those guys who thinks maybe you should prioritize other positions because running backs are kind of hit or miss and you can find diamonds in the rough. But Najee Harris is a special player, has been ever since his freshman season. And uh, I'm excited to see what he does with the Steelers. Uh, so... That wraps up this segment for fantasy rookies that you need to target in 2021. Uh, And right after the break, we'll be talking about the biggest needle movers, uh, which drafts we liked the best, and we'll be right back. All right, so we talked about some rookies that can change your fantasy team, but now we want to look at what NFL teams have changed through the draft as well. So, Dave, what is your number one team that has changed in the best way as a result of the draft this year. So this was difficult. There were a couple of teams. It kind of came down to two. Uh, one was the Cleveland Browns. I thought they did a tremendous job uh, drafting both for need and also best available. Uh, but I ended up going with the Los Angeles Chargers. 
which is still weird. I still want to say San Diego Chargers, but either way, the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, so their key needs going into this draft, uh, at least from from my point of view, offensive line was number one. Uh, their offensive line was terrible last year. They did make a few decent free agent signings because they knew that they needed to to uh, protect Justin Herbert. Uh, additional offensive playmakers, uh, just because we have seen Mike Williams struggle with injuries. Keenan Allen's also struggled with injuries. Austin Eckler missed some time last year. So kind of wanted to see if they were going to draft any more difference makers on, on the offensive side. And then defensively, I, I thought they needed help everywhere, all three levels of the defense. Um, so pretty much any defensive help that they drafted, I I think would be an, it would be an upgrade. There's a their defense was the reason why they were seven to nine. Well, that and because they're the Chargers and they always manage to find a way to lose close games. Um, but they started off really well with the draft, but by drafting tackle Rayshon Slater, uh, who was widely viewed as the second best tackle in the draft after Penny Sewell, and in my opinion, he should be an above average tackle right away. He'll play left tackle for them and will just be a guy you can just plug in and play and not have to worry about. And that's exactly what you want out of your left tackle, especially when you've got a young quarterback back there like Justin Herbert. Then with their second round pick, they got Asante Samuel Jr. That name sounds familiar. It's because his dad played corner in the NFL for many years. Uh, He should start at corner right away, probably slot. Uh, He's a little bit undersized, but has really good physicality for uh, his position he does have a tendency to get a little handsy and uh, gets flagged quite a bit. Um, the NFL, I would say, has been a little bit more lenient on those than in the at the college level. But still, he's going to need to learn to trust his instincts and play the ball rather than the receiver. But I still think it's going to be an upgrade to their cornerback room, especially because they they've lost Jason Verrett, they've lost Casey Hayward. Uh, they have Chris Harris, who's still an above-average corner, but they really needed some depth at, at that position. I think Asante Samuel is a good value in the second round. Uh, as we talked about before, Josh Palmer, as a third-round pick, he is going to be expected to contribute right away. Um, he should see some targets, especially as I talked about their injury issues. He's another playmaker to add to that wide receiver room, and I think he'll benefit from working with a good quarterback as well. Tennessee's quarterbacks haven't necessarily been the best, uh, so I think having uh, or receiving throws from Justin Herbert should help him as well moving forward. They also drafted Trey McKitty, uh, former Florida State tight end, uh, and then he he transferred to Georgia. Um, he sh- he should be good tight end depth behind Jared Cook. Um, he's got some pass catching ability. Um, he's a little bit quicker as a tight end, and he'll be able to help a little bit blocking as well. But he's more of a of a move tight end. So. Uh, that's some good tight end depth there, especially because Jared Cook's on a one-year contract. Um, Trey McKitty will potentially be the future at tight end there for the Chargers. Uh, they also drafted uh, on the offensive line, which is, again, something that they addressed in the first round with Rayshon Slater. They got a swing tackle, Brendan Hymas. It looks like James, but it's pronounced Hymas. Um, he's a swing tackle and play left or right tackle. And also there have been talk about uh, him playing guard as well. So this is a guy who can pretty much help out at four out of the five positions on the offensive line. And those guys are always going to be extremely valuable uh, because rarely, if ever, does the same 
five offensive linemen that start the season in the season um, as well. So I like that pick too. Then they also went and got Chris Rumpf the second, who's a developmental pass rusher type. Um, and he should see the field this year as a situational pass rusher. Um, he can learn from Joey Bosa and he's got really good potential. Um, and he's in a, a good place for him to realize that potential as well. And they, they finish off the draft with a few other players who should be good special teamers. Uh, Nick Neiman, his, he's got a brother in the NFL as well. Um, good linebacker depth, special teams performer. They got a running back, Larry Roundtree, the third solid backup running back and uh, Mark Webb, who should be special teamer and safety depth for him, which they need because one of my favorite players in the NFL, Derwin James, can't seem to stay healthy. So they definitely need some safety depth there. Um, Chargers were seven and nine last year. They're in a tough division and the AFC is full of really, really good teams. It's, it's a dogfight trying to get one of either win your division and then get one of those wildcard spots. But I think I would be shocked if the Chargers didn't post a winning record this year. And I really think that if they don't get a wild card spot, then they'll at least become come very close to that and they'll be way more of a contender this year. And their uh offensive line signings and free agency, as well as this draft where they covered pretty much all of their needs. Um, I think it's set them set them up to be in a really good position in 2021 and then also just moving forward as well. I I love that pick. When I was doing the uh you know what team did I think made the biggest push? I was between the Chargers and the team that I'm going to talk about. Um but yeah, you covered it all really well. The um the main ones to me are the Rashawn Slater and Josh Palmer. I think that they did well to put good pieces around Justin Herbert. And I think one thing to point out since you brought up that they were 7 and 9 is that Justin Herbert looked great last year, but he wasn't like when did what week did he start? Do you remember like week three? Week 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 two, I want to say. Uh, the the poor Tyrod Taylor getting his punctured lung. Uh, it was either week two or week three last year. Yeah, and Anthony Lynn started the season as their coach. He's been moved out because they put a ton of the blame on him for blowing those close games. So um, if Staley, their new coach, can um, can be an improvement on that. Plus, assuming Herbert takes a step forward in his second year, yeah, for sure. I think I would agree that the Chargers would post a winning record even in the AFC, like you said. Um, my pick's the Dolphins. Dolphins were 10-6 and six in 2020, which already is good. Four of those six losses were by eight points or less. This is a team that was realistically a couple plays from 12 and 4, 13 and 3. Um, this is a good team. And, you know, shout out to Brian Flores, their coach, who was a Belichick assistant for 10 years. Shout out to Chris, G- Chris Greer, their GM. They have both done a hell of a job building this team up because for a while, the Dolphins were a laughing stock. Not anymore. These two have done so well building this team. Um, and it's not just the talent on the field because the Dolphins at the beginning of the draft process had the number three pick, not because they were bad, but because they were good at making trades and they were able to turn that into future assets and still pick at six. 
where they got Jalen Waddle. This is just a really well-run franchise. Um, and so I just want to give credit where credit is due there. Um, I talked about Jalen Waddle in the previous segment, so I don't really need to fully talk about that again. But just to point out, the receivers on the roster or notable receivers on their roster include Devontae Parker, Alan Hearns, Albert Wilson, and Will Fuller. Um, but I think Jalen Waddle pretty much immediately becomes their best receiver. Um, and not just their best, but you know the most explosive. And that's something that the Dolphins were really lacking. They could get these short completions. They could get like middle-of-the-field completions. But they didn't really have anyone on their roster that was really like taking off. And they added that in Jalen Waddle. And I think that's going to be a great tool for Tua Tonga-Vailoa in his second year. Additionally, they got Hunter Long tight end out of Boston College in the third round, which a solid tight end, you know, for your checkdowns. That's going to be another great tool for a young quarterback. But I'm also looking at Jalen Phillips. Potential steal of the draft. Um, we mentioned the draft not having a dominant edge rusher, but Jalen Phillips is still probably the best edge rusher. And they got him at 18. Like, that's pretty low to be getting the best edge rusher in the draft. Um, the reason he fell so low is because of injury. He has a history of concussions. I think he had to, like, medically retire at one point. Um, and I think he had a wrist injury. But this is a player with, like, top 10 talent. It was just the injuries dragging him down. Kind of like what we talked about earlier as it related to Dylan Moses. But this player was still good enough to get drafted. Um, so we put that on an already good Dolphins defense. Um, really love that addition. Assuming he's healthy. And the Dolphins were the team to take him because they could afford to. They could afford to take that risk because they've been doing so well. You add Javon Holland from Oregon, defensive back. And this is a really versatile defensive back. He's top four in interceptions in college football over the last two seasons. And... The Dolphins, while they were like third in the NFL in takeaways last season, they were actually bottom half in pass defense. So great player there. He can play safety. He's lined up in the nickel. He's um, lined up on the outside. He's a very versatile defensive back that they've gotten. Um, and the last pick that I want to talk about, Liam Eichenberg, offensive tackle from Notre Dame. One thing I love that you are talking about was in the Chargers edition of Rashawn Slater, you know, you bring in an offensive tackle to protect this rookie quarterback, or not rookie, a young quarterback. Herbert was a rookie last season. That's something that I always respect in NFL drafts. When you see teams say, we have a young quarterback that we want to like potentially be that franchise guy, let's bring someone in to protect him. Now, they were able to find Eichenberg towards the end of the, or towards the beginning of the second round. Um, so it's not as high profile as Slater, but he does the same job. So Eichenberg is coming from Notre Dame. Let me just read you these stats real quick. So three-year starter at Notre Dame. That's 38 games. In those 38 games, he's never missed a start. He's only allowed two sacks, and he hasn't allowed a sack in 33 straight games. That is a player that will protect your quarterback. And when you really break down those numbers, that means – those two sacks would have been his first year as a starter. So he's had two full years starting at left tackle where he's not letting his quarterback get hit or get sacked rather. So you have a quarterback in Tua that 
was getting a lot of praise you know, coming into the NFL. The Dolphins seemed to believe in him, having moved on from Fitzpatrick, Fitzmagic. Um, and they're giving him tools to succeed. They give him a playmaker in Jalen Waddle. They give him a tight end in Hunter Long. They give him someone to protect his blind side in Eichenberg. I just love what the Dolphins did in this draft. And that 10-6 and six in a division that's no longer being terrorized by the Patriots year in and year out, I mean, I love what the Bills are doing, but I would not be surprised to see Miami win this division outright. Yeah, and the for me, it was uh, Mike told me that he had chosen the Dolphins as his team, and uh, that was the first team that I thought of. Uh, the Chargers and the Browns, I thought, also had great drafts, but the Dolphins, what you said about them being a well-run franchise, so accurate. They had a lot of picks because they made a lot of trades. But what you've got to do is you have to, just because you have a lot of picks doesn't mean that you're going to draft. It just means you're guaranteed great players. They've done a really good job of drafting and developing. Brian Flores has been immense for them. Um, and I think they hit they hit a home run with this draft class. Um, and they are definitely on the rise in, in that division. Um it's just it's crazy to think that now it's the Bills and the Dolphins running that division um, after the Patriots being atop it for so long. But yeah, the Dolphins, one of my favorite teams uh, on on the rise in the AFC and just in the NFL in general. So yeah, those were our team, our favorite two teams, our favorite two draft classes um, that really moved the needle from potential playoff contender to solid playoff contender. Uh, in, the, in the Chargers case from losing record to definitely winning record and maybe sneaks into the wild card. So now we're going to close out the show in the next segment where we're going to put somebody on the hot seat. What's up, guys? Welcome back. Uh, this is going to be the final segment of the show, the hot seat. So just in case y'all didn't catch our intro episode, um, the hot seat is going to be a segment that we're taking from our college radio show that we used to do um, where pretty much the premise is Every single week, we know that somebody in the sports world is going to say something crazy, something ridiculous, something disrespectful that makes them deserving of being put on the hot seat. So we've got a couple of different nominees for for this week. So I'll let Mike go ahead and, go ahead and hit you with the first one. Because of course it can't just be one uh, in the sports world. That just kind of proves what you're saying. There's always going to be someone. Or there's always going to be yeah. There's always going to be room for probably more than one person on the hot seat. So, person number one, Goga Batadze, who is a Georgian, as in the country of Georgia, basketball player playing on the Indiana Pacers. So, a couple, couple games ago, uh, the Pacers assistant coach, Greg Foster, got, um, got mad at Batadze like mid-game because Batadze did not give an adequate contest to Mo Harkless driving to the rim. So he's yelling at Batadze. The next possession on offense, Batadze drains a three and yells at his own assistant coach, sit the blank down. You don't really see players screaming at their own coaches like that very often. And what's more is Batadze is not a star. Um, like you might get this kind of attitude from like your megastars or whatever. I'm pretty sure Batadze scored five points that game. So this is a really random player to be screaming that. But, you know, 
you may have may as well have just screamed it to the entire coaching staff. Um, just a brief tangent. The Pacers, prior to their current coach, had Nate McMillan, who I love, um, and he was doing a phenomenal job coaching them. It's Nate McMillan is the guy that I wanted coaching the Hawks for years, and we finally have him. It's like a dream come true. Um, before that, they had Frank Vogel, and whether or not they had superstars on their roster, the Pacers, with both of those coaches, were always really good teams, and now they're four or five games under five hundred. So someone on that staff deserves to be yelled at, but I find it hilarious that it's Goga Batadze of all players. Right. Hey, you know, somebody need to step up and he decided that he was the man for the job. Um, it's just funny because normally you think you you yell at the other team's bench, but in this case, he's like, nope, I got to tell my own coach, sit down. I just drained a three. And as a result of this exchange, the Pacers have suspended that assistant coach and they've fined Gogo Batadze. <laughs> so you got the organization punishing two people for the, the same exchange. Gotta love it. So I guess both Greg Foster and Goga Batadze get to share a little comfy spot on the hot seat this week. Um, a couple other guys who are going to be sharing <laughs> a spot, and this is going to be a, quite an interesting pairing. Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M head coach, formerly of Florida State. Uh, I used to like Jimbo. No longer do after he threw a tantrum and left Florida State uh, in a bit of a mess, but that's a whole other thing. I'm not going to get into that right now. Uh, I don't want to get too heated on this podcast. This has been a good episode. I don't want to like it to just go there. Uh, so anyway, so Jimbo Fisher uh, decided to take a little jab at Nick Saban. Uh, I think it was last week. Uh, he was asked by fans what the key was going to be for finally beating Alabama other than Nick Saban retiring, to which Jimbo Fisher replied, we're going to beat his ass even when he's there. So of course, this is just going to make national headlines because anybody talking about Nick Saban is just going to make national headlines. So respect to the reporter, whoever this person was, um, Nick Saban was at a press conference and the reporter brought this up to him and let him know what Jimbo said. And in response, Nick Saban said, in golf? I'm sure there will come a day. Is that what he was talking about? Football? Because, you know, Nick Saban, being Nick Saban, uh, none of his former assistants, which Jimbo Fisher was one of his assistants before, he has never lost to one of them before. And I, let's be honest, Nick Saban knows how good he is. Uh, and... To be fair, he he kind of has every right to be this way too. I mean, I think he I think out of all people he's earned it. But it was just kind of funny, um, Jimbo thinking, oh, I, I'm going to go to Texas A and M uh, on this crazy contract. We're on the we're on the up and up, and Nick Saban's kind of like, yeah, whatever, bro. Now correct me if I'm wrong. Texas A and M last season lost one game, but it was to Alabama, and it was like a 28 point loss, something like that. Which makes me look at this as just like Nick Saban saying, dude, stay in your lane. Like, you can have your cute little winning season. You're still not me. Um, this is just an I don't give a damn behavior that I just love in Nick Saban. Right. And just this is a funny stat. Alabama has outscored Texas A&M 144 to 75 in the three games since Jimbo took over the program three years ago. So... Maybe Jimbo's just trying to speak this into existence. 
I'm not sure. So, you know, respect to him for being confident, but uh, you can't really go at Nick Saban because, you know, he's Nick Saban. Yeah, and to be fair to Jimbo, like, when you ask him that question, what do you expect him to say? Your job is the part of your job as the coach is to make your fans and, more importantly, your players believe that you can succeed. But <laughs> Nick Saban doesn't believe that in you. Right. So Texas A&M will host Alabama on October 9th. So uh, circle that date. I'm sure this story will come back around uh, at, at that point in the lead up to that game. So we'll see if Jimbo can can shut Nick Saban up or not. But yeah, so we've got four guys on the hot seat this week. Um, and that pretty much wraps up our show. Um, thank you guys for listening. We've had a blast making this. Um, and just so you guys know, we're going to plan on doing a bi-weekly podcast and the goal is for every other Monday us to upload a new episode. So make sure that if you aren't already, uh, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Apple podcasts, Google play and Spotify. Uh, so if you're on one of those three, then make sure to hit subscribe and you'll be able to follow us that way. And you can also, uh, follow us on social media as well at Mike and Dave pod. And that is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And on all three of those, you'll find a link, a link tree that has links to all three of our podcast uh, sites like you uh, brought up, Google Play, Spotify, and Apple. So we'll be posting links there. We'll also post links uh, to some of the articles that we talked about. So like our hot seat mentionings and Zayvon Collins interview and everything. So be sure to follow us on our social media for updates and polls and all of this that's where we'll kind of be able to interact with you guys uh and we're definitely going to be active over there so and we love to hear from you you know what were your thoughts uh on the falcons draft class you know who are you looking at in fantasy this upcoming year we'd love to hear from you and kind of have a back and forth there but uh yeah thanks for listening this has been our first official episode we're excited to get this podcast underway and rolling and uh yeah i've been dave And I'm Mike, and this is the Mike and Dave Podcast.